classroom, go and have some fun. How is everybody doing this morning? Y'all have a great holiday weekend last weekend with Canada Day and all that wonderful weather we've been having. Hasn't it been just a gorgeous summer? It has been so great. You know, it's kind of like been in that zone that is just excellent. It's like it's warm, but there's a nice breeze. The humidity hasn't been too hot. It's like perfect. You know, when you get in seasons like that, just be like, thank you, God. Come on. In everything that happens, just be in gratitude and thankfulness to God. Hallelujah. Well, I'm excited about this morning. We're going to continue on in our series on the nature and the character of God. And so, Father, right now, as we're wanting to, to dive deep into who you are and what, what you're offering and, and how your heart beats right now, we just ask, Father, reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, take hold with us right now as we open the word that you inspired. We thank you that you know exactly what's in there and you know exactly what we need to know and what might be missing and what is the key to taking us into the next step. And so, Father, we just thank you that you're, you're not undiscoverable. And so this morning, we look forward to discovering more. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the nature and the character of God. I like to do a series on this once every year. And in 2021, we didn't ever get to it because we spent six months on the Holy Spirit, which is fine because that's part of the nature and the character of God. But I want to be a little more focused in this one, and it's going to be our summer series, and we're going to take our time. There's no need to rush. You know, sometimes I was talking to somebody the other week, and they're like, oh, there's just so much I don't know. I'm like, that's okay. You don't need to be in a rush. It's a journey. What you may be hearing now, it could be down the road where it kind of clicks, and you're like, oh, wait, that's what he meant when he said that. And so we don't need to put pressure on ourselves about what we know, what we don't know, what we've done what we've experienced, and what we haven't experienced. We just present ourselves before God and say, God, you teach me. You, you grow me. You bring me to what is important for me right now. Because, you know, there's certain seasons of our lives when you hear things, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then other seasons when you hear the same thing and you're like, yes, that's what I needed. Holy Spirit knows what you need when you need it. So pull on him. Pull on that gift. He always meets you when you have expectation. When you put a demand on the Holy Spirit, he's not like, oh, how dare you ask me to talk to you? How dare you ask me to teach you? No, he's like, yes, this is where I thrive. He's called the helper. He's called the teacher. He's called the counselor. He's called the comforter. He, he likes to be used. He likes to be, yeah, you want me to get involved? I'm ready to get involved with you. You ready to get involved with him this morning? So last week, we, I want to do a little bit of coverage from last week. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he had never met them. He did not start the church at Colossae. I know it gets lumped into one of the churches that he did, but he didn't. It was his friend Epaphras who had planted that church. And so Paul was writing to them because he starts off in chapter 2. He's like, I don't know what you know, and I don't know what you don't know. He's like, so I want to write some things to you so that I know you know the right things. You know? Well, that's just such the mercy of God, having him reach out. He, he knew he, his friend Epaphras, but he didn't know what had been communicated. When he would establish a church, I'm sure he had some things in his mind, like, they need to know this, they need to know that. 
but he didn't know. And so he's going through, and, he, and as he's telling them about God, he says this in verse 8. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, through empty deceit, according to the traditions of men and according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. And so I want to reinforce this point that we've been making for the last two weeks is that when you know God and you know his character and you've learned it, people can't deceive you. People can't say, well, this is how God really is. And you're like, you know, we're not talking about the same person. Come on. I hear religious people talk about God and I'm like, that's not my God. And if that's what your God's like, I have no interest in serving him. I'd rather go to hell. You know, it's a strong statement, but I know my God. He is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is for me. He is not against me. And so when I've been established in that character of him, when people tell me the garbage that the world is pushing and religion is pushing, I'm like, no, we're not talking about the same people. I won't be deceived because I know. And I want us all to be in that position when someone says, well, maybe God's putting this sickness on you to teach. You go, no, he doesn't need to. Come on, we have to think about the absurdity of people that say that. You as a parent, those of your parents, have you ever considered breaking your kid's leg so that they would learn not to run in the street? No, we would say you're a child abuser. But yet, religious people make statements about God. Oh, he's just trying to teach me something. Let him bring you through it. No, get it off my body. Sickness and disease is not allowed. God's not using it to teach me. He's helping me right now be strong in faith so that I can come through it. So what you don't know can very much hurt you. And I know some people say the opposite. It's like, oh, what you don't know can't hurt you. No, very much so. If you know there's a, don't know there's a cliff just around the corner in the dark, you may walk right off it. But if someone puts up a sign and says, don't go this way. You know, I have a friend who grew up in Belize. And uh, their, her parents were missionaries there all her life as she was growing up. And on one trip, when they were moved, on the original trip, I believe, when they were moving down into Belize, they had to drive through Mexico. And you know that Mexico and Central America, there's some rough areas, right? And it, getting late at night, there was nowhere to stop, and so they had to keep going. They needed to get through this zone, and as it was getting dark, they couldn't really see what was going on, they came across a blockade. And people had set up that blockade because they were going to rob you and probably kill you and take all your stuff, and... And as it was coming up, they just said, Jesus, we thank you that you take care of us. And so as things were going on, the Holy Spirit said to the father, said, tell them to run. And so he turned to his family and said, run. And they opened the door and they took off into the dark. And they actually fired a gun at, uh, at him. And somehow it hit the window and redeflected away from him so that he didn't get hit. It's like, how do you miss when you're standing this close? God's protection. And they took off into the dark. And some of the people took off after them. And as uh, the mother and my friend, the daughter, were running together, all of a sudden the mother heard on the inside, stop and lay down. And she stopped. She laid down. And they came by, and they, they, they're standing right here, and the people are looking, couldn't see them, and they gave up and went back. By the time this had happened, some police had miraculously showed up, which, you know, in the middle of the night, the, 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 the percentages of that happening... It's so slim, but the police showed up. People got scared away. And they came looking for them. And the father came out, and here, he found them easily, where the, the robbers couldn't find them. 
you know what was right beside them? A sheer thousand-foot cliff. And the Holy Spirit had said, stop, lay down. When we understand his character, when we begin to learn his voice, he can do miraculous things. That's why it's so important to have your ear tuned to God. Now, that wasn't part of my message this morning, but somebody needed to hear that. You need to tune your heart in. He will keep you from harm. He will protect you. And so Paul says, I don't want anybody to deceive you. And I, I don't want them to tell you about the traditions of men and give past them up of God. I don't want to tell you the principles of the world. I want them to be based upon Christ. Because for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead body. Everything you need to know about God is modeled in is so important. And we've said it week one, week two, and now week three. Because sometimes people are like, oh, well, God is a little different than Jesus. Jesus is the nice one. No. Jesus is the reflection of the Father. So last week I said, we're going to give you some homework over this series. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start with John. I think that's a great place to start. That Then you will see what Jesus did, what he said, Amen? We said that in the message translation, it says it really nice. Everything of God gets expressed in him or in Jesus so that you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, you don't need a microscope, and you don't need a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ. What's Paul saying? It's easy to discover the character and the nature of God because he's not hiding. He's not far He's not too small, and he's not some weird, spooky, spooky spiritual thing. So in Christ, the true nature and character of God is revealed. And the bonus points to that from last week was Paul goes on and says, and you're complete in him, which means that your true nature and your ability and what is possible to you and what's been made available to you is also revealed in Christ. And if you haven't discovered it by now, the whole Bible revolves around Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward. Everything in the New Testament is pointing back to that one moment that transformed all of history. It says that he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Well, how can that happen if there was the beginning and then Christ was way down here? It was an event that trans translated through time and history. It pierced through history and time. God is not bound by it. So that what Christ did in the Old Testament, they believed on credit. They were looking ahead. And that's why Isaiah, when he's looking at the cross, and he says, by his stripes we are healed. Looking forward, but Peter looks back and says, by his stripes we were healed. They were looking at the same event from two different directions. Christ is the lens in which we interpret the Bible and we interpret God. And as we said the last two weeks, Paul said about the Jews that they were zealous for God, but not according to accurate and correct information. Which means that there's things that are said in the Old Testament by people that aren't necessarily true, but they're truly stated. It is what they said, but what they said wasn't actually true. But what you see God say is. And so we ask ourselves the question when we're in the Old Testament. Who's speaking? And why are they saying it? 
Motivation is important. We're going to see that a little bit later on this morning. Okay, you ready to get moving? So we ended last week in Matthew chapter 11 in the message translation where Jesus, he comes off, he's mad, he's in a mood, and he's chewing out the people. Woe to you, Torres, and it would have been better for Sodom than you because all the miracles that you've seen and yet you still have walked away from God. He's in a bad mood, and then he stops, and he redirects himself towards the Father, and he begins to pray. And he says, I thank you, Father, that you've not hidden who you are. And after he directs himself back to the Father, it says, then he begins again, yet tenderly. One moment with God will redirect your attitude. It'll change your perspective. If you're having a bad day, take a moment. And not a moment to think about all the garbage that's happened, a moment to focus in on God. And so Jesus was having a day. And if Jesus can have a day, I know you've all had one because I've had them. And he goes to the Father, and it changes his perspective. And he redirects back to the people in a tender and loving attitude. And he says, the Father has given all these things to do and to say. This is a unique father and son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does. And you can read that part and be like, oh, well, he's just... He knows things we don't know. That's why we don't stop there. Right? You can make the Bible say anything if you stop in the wrong spot. Because the son, he he just knows the father differently. Nor nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Meaning if you want to know... Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. And everyone say this with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or anything ill-fitting. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's what happens when you experience Jesus and when you learn the true character of God. I told you the story last week at the end that I had recently heard an atheist in a video talking about how religion is a holdover from the infancy of humanity and really the only reason that it was created was to control the masses. You know what the Bible says? It says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the widow and the orphan in their time of need. It's not about control. It's about binding up the wounds, healing the brokenhearted, setting the prisoner free, getting the lame to walk, the blind to see, the heart to be healed. And so if anything about God makes you feel like control, it's not his nature and character. He doesn't have to make you do Thing. When you learn from him and listen to him, it changes what you want to do and why you do it. We were talking yesterday in the men's meeting that the, they used the statement that rebellion equals rules without relationship. 
If it's all about do this, do this, do this, you will rebel. And that's why we see the world rebel. We need less Christianity saying, do this, and more Christianity saying, here's my God. See how he loves. See how he heals. See how good he is. And it will change what they do and why they do it. But a lot of times before it's about them, it's about us. We need that relationship. We need that reminder. Wow, we're going really slow this morning. <laughs> I won't apologize. I'm enjoying it myself. But what we just saw in Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 is this. God is meant to be seen and experienced, not just talked about. You can go to many churches, and this is what happened. This is what God said. That's not just church. We should come to church feel his presence. We should feel his wisdom enter our life. We should feel our hurt begin to be bound up and set free. We should feel the weights and the pressures and the worries and the anxieties begin to melt away in the midst of the presence of his perfect peace. He is meant to be seen and experienced. And that's why the Bible has verses like taste and see if he wasn't meant to be seen or experienced, you couldn't taste and see. But here, Jesus said, I'll go over it line by line with anyone who wants to know. Watch how I do it, which means you should see it modeled and displayed. That's why testimonies are so important. And that's why we give people, and sometimes you're like, oh, I wish you'd stop rambling and hurry on. No, we need to hear and see God at work in people's lives. It says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. When you share how God's been good in your life, you're helping others be set free. And so God is meant to be experienced and seen. And so let's go back to week number one, where we started. Everybody remember? John chapter 14. Jesus says this, If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And so he's talking to his disciples, his 12 closest people. And he's saying, guys, you have seen him and you know him. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough. It's sufficient for us. And Jesus' response to Philip is, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so how can you say, show us the Father? And so now when we read that, and I've just said God is meant to be seen and experienced, we go, how? Jesus has gone home. Jesus said, I'm an accurate reflection. Yes, we, we can read about Jesus, but it's not just about what we read, it's about what we also experience. That's how the disciples were set free. That's how they were given the boldness to take the gospel around the world. So what about us? Do you think it's a valid question for us to ask? What about me? And sometimes I'm like, well, stop being so selfish, you know, get the eye out of it and look at the wheat. No, no, that's not a vote. This is a good question to say, what about me? That's why we don't stop there. In the very same 
same chapter that Jesus reveals this, that if you're looking at me, you've seen God. The same chapter, he says, I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he'll abide with you forever. And that word another means just like me. So he's saying, I'm not, I'm going, but I'm going to send one just like me. So if Jesus was just like the Father and revealed his character perfectly, and the whole, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit saying, he's just like me, that means that the Holy Spirit accurately reflects the heart and the will and the character of God as well. And so it's not like he's gone because he says he's the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive, but because it, it doesn't need see him and it doesn't know him, but you know him, for he will dwell in you and be with you. And so in the same way Jesus was right there with them so that they could see, it's the same way the Holy Spirit is to be present with you so that you can see him and experience the character and the nature and the perfect will of God being on display because he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So can you see and experience heart of the Father right now in this time. Yes. Because the Holy Spirit's available to you. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, don't, don't put it off another day. Our Word Care team will be up here at the end and they would love for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues so that you can begin to know and experience the nature and the character of God. He said, I will come to you. So, if He has come to us, have to stop treating God as though he's the one that's hiding. Let's just take this for a minute. Take a breath. He said, I'll come to you. So why, why does a lot of it be like, okay, God, where are you? How come I can't seem to find it? He's not hiding. But I, I think of an Old Testament story with the prophet Elijah where he's having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And they're calling on their God, like, oh, send down fire, send down, and, and burn up this sacrifice. And he, he's mocking them. He says, where's your God? Is he gone on a trip? Maybe he's in the bathroom. But yet, in a lot of Christians' mind, and maybe in some of us here right now, we're like, David, great example for us to follow from the Old Testament. He wasn't perfect, but he said he was a man after God's own heart. He experienced that. God, where are you? And he said that in Psalm 27, 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. He's going through a really rough time here. He's on the run and King Saul wants to kill him. He's tried several times tossed a spear right at him, and David was like, whoa, that was close, and then he took off out. He's going through a rough time. He's been on the run, and he was on the run for a long time, and so he begins to cry out to God, have mercy on me, God. He says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your faith, face I will seek, and so David understands, when I seek you, I should find you, but then he says this in the next verse, don't hide your face from me. 
don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. So he's looking at his past and like, you were there before. Where are you now? Don't leave me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. And so when we said, like Paul said, the Jews were zealous and passionate about God, but not always according to correct and accurate information. Was God hiding his face from David? Was he angry at David? Did he leave David and forsake him? No. So this is not an expression of accuracy. This is an expression of David's emotions. And we all got them, right? We all got emotions. And sometimes the way you feel doesn't always line up with what is real. And so what David should have been reminding himself of is his second last sentence there. Don't leave me nor forsake me. Well, what is the truth of that? Okay, back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, 400 years before David makes these statements in Psalm 27, Moses is nearing the end of his life. And so he gathers the children of Israel together and he pulls out Joshua, his, the one who's been serving him faithfully for many years. He's the one who sought God's face. When Moses would go back home to sleep, Joshua was like, I'm going to stay here in your presence, oh God. I'm not leaving. I'm going to be right here. And so Moses is wanting to pass the mantle on to Joshua. And so in verse 7, it says, Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And so he's saying, you're taking them, Joshua. You're it. You're going in with them. They're going to inherit the land because you're with them. And the Lord, he is the one that goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed or discouraged. These are the words that jo Moses imparts to Joshua. God is with you, and he won't leave you. He won't turn his back on you. And you can say, well, there's 400 years in between here. Surely David didn't know it. Surely that's why he's crying out in Psalm 27, don't forsake me. Well, you would think so, but what happens next is important. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the, to the priests. You want to know what the equivalent is? Moses says it, and he goes, that's good, write it down. <laughs> when we come to church, we should have an expectation of God speaking to us, revealing things to us. We should have something to write with. Get your notepad open on your phone. If you come to church and you have no expectation of receiving anything, you won't prepare for it. But if you expect to hear from God and see him revealed, you prepare for it so that you can hold on to that word. And so Moses says it, and he's like, that's good, write it down. And you know where they wrote it? They wrote it where they would read it. In the law, which as a king, David would be preparing himself. They would keep a copy of the law right beside where they would rule from so that they could know what God said and what was true. So what David was feeling in Psalm 27 wasn't an accurate reflection of the truth. And when you're feeling like, where are you, God? We return to the word. 
we say, God, why aren't you speaking? And we say, why is your Bible closed? God, why can't I hear you? And we say, when, when did you pray? God, why aren't I experiencing you? And you're like, where have you been? We had church six times since you've been here. Of course, we're not talking about you guys. You're here. <laughs> but when you expect to know him, you show up where you can know him and where you can learn him. If you expect to hear him, you get on your knees and pray and listen. If you expect to learn of him, you open up and find out what's been said about him. And so he's not the one that's hiding. He's not undiscoverable. And it's not that David didn't know this. Because he said it in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Just not Psalm 27 where I forgot. And so sometimes we got to have that consistent anchoring of our emotions to what is true over what we feel. And what you feel doesn't change the character and the nature and the truthfulness of his promise to you. So we have to stop treating God as though he's the one who is hiding. You're saying you're not really revealing the character of God. No, but I'm showing you how to understand it. And sometimes in order to learn, we need to move some obstacles out of the way. You know, that's why in our schools, we have breakfast programs. So we feed their bellies so they're not going, oh, I'm so hungry. And then they're not listening and they're not hearing, right? We remove the obstacle out of the way. God's not hiding. Second one is, uh, we have to stop blaming him as though it's all his fault. Well, I would never do that, Pastor Jordan. <laughs> When we look at our insurance policies, it's like there was an earthquake or there was a tornado or there was a flood or other acts of God, as though it was him the one that came and wiped your house off the face of the planet. No, he's not. It says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in whom there is no shadow of turning. And so there's things that we've been conditioned without even knowing to blame God for. We're like, why hasn't this happened? God... And he's saying, I don't know, Jordan. <laughs> A friend of ours wrote in his book, Where, God, Where Does God Fit In? His name's Jim Hockaday. And he said, one morning in a town where I was holding a meeting, I decided to play golf. For a few holes, I played alongside another golfer. And we were near the green when he made another bad swing. Have <laughs> golfers been there? Been there? <laughs> I don't play golf because every swing is a bad swing for me. He says, the ball didn't go anywhere near where he intended it to go. And as you might imagine, profanity was flying. He began to damn God for his horrible golf swing. And I walked up to him and I asked, have you ever thought about blaming your swing on Buddha instead? Why don't you damn him? And I coached him. Say it a few times. Buddha, damn it. Buddha, damn it. Buddha, damn it. Try it on for size. And so I coached him, and then I asked him, so how did that feel instead? And I asked him if he ever considered God to be a good God. Would God really cause your golf game to be poor? I inquired, and I asked him if he believed that he could approach God in a positive way and receive help for whatever he needed. 
Of course, this allowed me to tell him of my profession, and when I said that I was a preacher, he apologized. Of course, they always do. People, I, I find that funny. Like, people are cursing like, like crazy and stuff like that, and they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't know you were a pastor. I'm like, I don't care. You, you do you. <laughs> For a few extra minutes, I shared how God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins to prove to everyone that he was for us and not against us. And that's just a little example of how sometimes we are programmed for God to be the one who gets the blame. And why do we do that? Blame's kind of in our nature. We go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, where, where are you? What did Adam say? It's the woman. What did the woman say? It's the snake. We blame because we're not willing to accept responsibility. That you can have as much relationship with God as you want. You can discover as much about him as you want. You can experience his peace like you've never in the past as much as you want. You can be as free as you want. You can be as charged up and excited about him as you want. And so as we move forward in this series, we have to take the obstacles out of the way. It's not hiding. It's not his fault. Step up to the plate and make it right. Let's wrap up quickly this morning. In Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, we find in verse 1 it says that the children did of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for several years. You will find similar statements like this all throughout the book of Judges and all throughout 1st and 2nd Chronicles and 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Samuel where it says God delivered them. And you have to understand this is not God saying I need these people to come in and beat you down. This is I have to let you have what you've believed for and what you've asked for, and uh, you've walked down this road, I have to let you go there. We need to understand that. When Pharaoh says, God has done this, it's not God has done that. The children of Israel brought it upon themselves by the choices that they made. And so it starts off, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is the roller coaster we see all throughout Judges. They turn away from God to Baal and to all these other gods, and then when things get bad, they turn back to God and say, please help me. And so he comes, and he delivers them over and over and over and over again for 400 years. And sometimes I'm like, God, did you ever get tired of that? <laughs> and the answer is no, he doesn't tire. His hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He endures everything without weakening. Because his love never fails or comes to end or is, becomes obsolete. And so this is just one of the cycles of Israel turning from God and then turning back to God. And it's gotten in a hard spot for them. So that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Not because of God, but because of the Midianites who they've allowed into their country. And the children of Israel cried out to God. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. What is he doing? He's giving them a history lesson. The same way I delivered you in the past, I'm about to deliver you right now. So whatever situation you're in, he's about to deliver you right now if you're willing to go with him and walk the process out with him and learn from him, receive from him, and listen and experience him. He's saying, I did it before, and I'll do it again. And he says, also, I said, I am the Lord your God. Don't fear the gods of the Amorites, whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Meaning, I've been saying things to you to make sure that you don't end up in this situation, but you didn't listen. But it doesn't matter how much you didn't listen, he'll still come back and lead you out of it when you do turn. That's really important. I've met people so many times. Too far gone. I've walked too far away. God, you'd never let me come back. No! Hogwash! Garbage! Now, God's delivered. Now an angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, and which belonged to Joash the abbot, whatever that word is, well, his son Gideon threshed the wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So God's deliverance is coming to a man who's hiding, processing his wheat. <laughs> Strong start to the story. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And the man in the hole, hiding, goes, Who? Me? <laughs> Gideon said to him, O oh Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? Blame, 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 blame. If God is here, then why? You know that God can be present and the situation still suck? Because his presence isn't all that's needed. It's your acceptance and response hard that must be for God to be standing right beside you in your darkest moments and going, let me help. Please let me help you. Please, please, please let me help you. I digress. And he says, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. Same thing David said, right? This is Gideon's emotions and feelings and perspective not the truth of what God is and what he's willing to do. And he's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Which he completely ignores everything Gideon just said. Gideon's saying, I'm not strong. I can't do this. Where is God? Why did this happen? And the angel just says, hey, you're stronger than you think you are. And that's my message to you right now, is you are stronger than you think you are. You know more than you think you can do. And more is possible to you right now than you can dare to imagine. So go ahead and dare to dream bigger. And he says, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house, which when we read the story a little bit further, is not true. He's actually the one who's going to inherit the entire house. 
And the Lord says, surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. And so as the story progresses, Gideon, we find out he didn't even know who he was talking to. Turn of events in that story. God may be speaking to you in ways that you're just not recognizing right now because you're wrapped up in what's going on. And so maybe the perception that God's not there is because he's talking this way. And so Gideon perceived that it was an angel of the Lord, and he said, Alas, O Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the angel of the Lord says to him, So whatever situation you're in right now, this is the same thing that God is speaking to you. Peace. Peace is what you need. Peace is what he's got. Peace is what he's offering. Peace will rule the day. God doesn't move out of agitation, confusion. So if that's what you feel here, turn to where peace is. Come on. Sometimes we're in the thick of things and we're agitated and we're thinking, I got to do something now. I got to do something now. I got to do something now. I have to act. I have to do something. No, the first thing you need to do is turn to peace. He leads us in his path to peace. Jesus said, my peace I not as the world gives you, but my peace I give you. And so as we end this morning, whatever has been talking loud to you, God is wanting to give you peace today. And so, Father, right now, we just open up our hearts and our eyes to receive your peace, to follow after your peace. Because as Gideon goes on to say in the story, he declares one of the very important God, we thank you that peace shall rule the day. We thank you that your peace, which passes understanding, is right now, just as Paul said, it's guarding my heart and my mind. And whatever I feel like I'm forced to do in this moment, I know there's another option that is not force and not coercion and not control. Because you are not coercion and control. You are peace. And so when I turn to you right now, peace begins to flow. Thank you, Father, for it. Can we take a moment right now? Yes, and we just worship you. Yes, we do, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, thank you, Jesus. Just go ahead and say that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your peace. Yes, we do. We thank
so in just a moment, our word care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to pray with you. They would love to believe with you. They'd love to celebrate with you. Whatever you need, go ahead and use them. They would love to be a person to agree with you. If you'd like to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or there's envelopes in the basket, in the seat in front of you, a basket at the back, Pastor Robin. Just realized I'm doing your part. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and have a seat. So, as uh, Pastor Jordan said, it is offering time. <laughs> and uh, I've got a story to tell you. Uh, we, have, we actually have a service program that uh, we all have an app to where we get to see you know, who's doing what on the certain Sunday and so on. Songs are being sung and so on. And uh, when it comes up, if, you, if, you, if I have to do the offering or Pastor Jordan does the offering, there's a space where you can put in, I want to use this scripture, or I want to use this confession, or I want to blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, it, it fell upon me today, almost lost the opportunity, to do the offering. So anyway, um, there, uh, I, I sort of I didn't put anything in because I was just going to just say something different. But as I prepared my tithe check this morning, I came in, and uh, I didn't have an envelope at home, so I, I grabbed an envelope here. Anyway, I was writing on the outside of the envelope, and what happened was I messed up on what I was writing. I guess I, my mind was elsewhere, and uh, I really wasn't giving it a lot of thought. I messed up on the envelope, and I went, ah! So I ripped up the envelope, threw it in the garbage, and I realized my tithe check was in there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> this, is, this is the several pieces it's in now. I will replace it with a good one later. But here I wasn't going to use any scripture or confession this morning to do the offering, and then a scripture came to mind just as I did that. And it's this one here in Proverbs. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Well, that word honor means esteem or highly regard. I got caught, and God said to me, use this scripture... Um, because of what you just did. Because I didn't honor or highly, I didn't esteem or highly regard what I was doing, what I was giving. Now, I should know better because I live a life of sowing and reaping. You know, th this is my lifestyle. So I've learned that it works, and I do it. And it gets to be just a regular thing for me. Well, it should never be that for me or for you. So as you're thinking of giving, as you're sowing your seed, you need to honor that seed that you're sowing. And so honor the Lord with your possessions with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I want you to focus on the fact that, you know, at some you know, some of you give online, which is great, and that happens throughout the week and you'll see the you know the, the, the tithes coming in, the offerings coming in, that's great. Some of you will put something in an envelope and do that. But I want you to honor that, what you're doing. Because God says, if you, you know, those who honor him, he will honor. Amen? And so, my little episode this morning was what, where we got to where we are today about how we're giving. Amen? All right. Glory be to God. Um, so, again, as Pastor Jordan said, you can give online or you can uh, do an envelope in the back here and uh, just honor what you're doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. And uh, 
So we are, uh, we don't dismiss. We are going to have some coffee and some fellowship. And uh, this is a good time to uh, just to spend with people because you probably have a word for somebody. You probably, somebody has a word for you. Just in conversation, you may think, well, that's not a prophecy or like that. No, just your conversation, just your fellowship. So, so don't run out. Stick around and talk to some people, okay? Amen? And just show them that we're real. Amen? Amen? And then we'll bring it back again next Sunday. Amen? Amen. Be blessed.